0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, January 27th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor in Chief Peter Soretta, And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Y Trend Bowie.
1: Hey, everyone.
0: So it's Monday, we're all back at the office, and uh, some news hit since the last time we talked uh, over the weekend, and some stuff on Friday, so let's get into it. Let's start first with Disney. Let's talk about uh, their live-action remakes of these animated classics. The next one coming up is going to be of Bambi? Brad, why? Uh,
2: Well, Lion King was such a huge hit at the box office last year, so it looks like Disney wants to uh, dig back into their lineup of stories that also feature an all-animal cast, and of course they'll be doing it with the same kind of uh, photorealistic visual effects technology where they look like real animals uh, doing the storytelling just like The Lion King. Um, As of right now, they've only hired a couple writers to work on it, Geneva Robertson-Doré and uh, Lindsay uh, Beer. Are both working on the script, and uh, Chris and Paul White's are on it as producers, along with Andrew Miano through their Depth of Field production. And uh, yeah, so it's just it's in early development right now, and you know, obviously the hope is that it'll be another success for them. Uh, their remakes have been doing very well, but you know, uh, as we've talked about before, the problem with doing these "quote unquote" live action remakes that have all animal characters is that you you get these amazing visual effects of very realistic animals but you lose a lot of the pa- passion and uh, emotion that is expressed through 2d animation making it feel somewhat lifeless i think the only benefit with bambi though is that Bambi's not really uh it's not a musical as the lion king was so that you don't have to worry about losing that much life in some of the sequences so it might work out a little bit better um but yeah that's that that's where we're at right now
0: there, There's also, like, you're on the fence of, like, how much should you honor the animated classic and how much should be new and different? And, like, you know, if you go too much in one direction, in either direction, actually, you piss off a lot of people. So, for okay. sure.
2: I think with this one, too, I, I, I'm betting it's very likely that there will be um, a, a climate change message in this one since the original Bambi has uh, a very large forest fire that's a big part of the... Uh, the original movie, and considering all the stuff that's been happening with, uh, you know, California wildfires and the Australian bushfire and that kind of thing, I bet you that will uh, play a big part of the the Bambi remake.
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, a lot of these live action remakes of the Disney films have kind of had those like that woke messaging uh, in them. Uh, I know. Um... This uh do you know Lindsay Ellis? She does some video essays that are great on YouTube, and I know she did a whole video on that, so you should check it out if you haven't seen that um but okay i uh, i I'm, I'm just wondering like how long is it going to take guys like if if Disney is going to remake every one of their beloved animated classics as a quote unquote live action movie, like when are they going to run out of you know content in in the well to to do
2: that with well,
1: they're just going to remake them again, won't they?
2: Yeah, they'll just do new animated versions with that, that'll be like virtual reality or you know whatever the next craze is.
0: Yeah, actually, that that brings us to another story that's on this list because strangely, you know the the movie Mean Girls was turned into a Broadway musical, and now that musical is going to be made back into a movie. HJ, tell us about this.
1: Yeah, Tina Fey is trying to make Mean Girls fetch again. I know. I was thinking about that for a while. Um, Anyways, Tina Fey, uh, who uh, wrote and starred in the original 2004 Mean Girls high school comedy and wrote the book for the Mean Girls musical, is bringing the Mean Girls musical back to the big screen. She's adapting the musical that um, is on Broadway right now and won, and was nominated for a bunch of Tonys. Um, and she's adapting it to a feature film. And this is going to be happening under Paramount, Paramount Pictures, which um, released the original film and also brought the stage musical to life. Um, and she'll be reuniting with... Um, the people on the Broadway team, uh, including composer Jeff Richmond and lyricist Nell Benjamin. So this is something that is a, it's a little bit, it's a little silly, <laughs> but it's actually not um, uncommon. We've seen it happen before with the producers, for example, and other films like Hairspray, Nine, and Little Shop of Horrors, which follow the same movie, it's musical, it's musical yeah. movie route. And this is to one make of those, results
0: yeah and this is one of those uh, movies to musicals that has gotten some acclaim on Broadway a lot of people seem to love it and uh, there's also n- not a lack it's a popular movie subgenre of having like high school musicals right so yeah. I mean so it seems like, what, what do you think of this HD? <laughs>
1: Well, I think that it's unusual because of how fast the turnaround has been. Like, you know, the original film came out in 2004. And in less than two decades, it's coming back into the big screen and so that's what i think is like is the most unusual part of this uh but yeah for sure it's like become sort of a trend on broadway right now to adapt these high school comedies or dark comedies into big sweeping uh broadway stage musicals you see it with the uh, uh, mean girls but also heathers as well as some not high school ones but you see seen like legally blonde for example these kind of rom-coms so um they they seem to lend themselves well to the musical genre. But um, and Mean Girls itself is still such a – has such a huge following, especially with people who grew up with it, uh, millennials, for example. Yeah. Um, and, it's a uh,
0: great movie.
1: It's a great movie. It's still so funny and so sharp. Like Tina Fey's uh, script is amazingly – amazingly holds up so well. Um, and people still quote it and, you know, have that sort of October 8th sort of uh, joke celebration every year for this movie. So – I think the movie still is like really strong in people's minds. And I wonder if the musical movie version will be as successful, but uh, you know, we're all about that nostalgic cycle right now. So maybe it will get a lot of uh, audiences.
0: Hmm, We'll have to see. Okay. uh, On Friday, we were talking about this Obi-Wan Kenobi project over at Disney plus. It's been going through some troubles behind the scenes And uh, it looks like, you know, they're rewriting the scripts and they're possibly getting it down to a four episode series instead of a season instead of a six episode season. And now we've learned some of the writers choices that might be in line to replace uh, the the people that were originally on on board for the series. HT, what do we know?
1: Yeah. So late last week, we learned that Hossein Amini, who was originally set to write the Obi-Wan Kenobi TV series, uh, was uh, dropped from the project and his scripts thrown out in a very dramatic overhaul of the Disney Plus series. And um, Disney is currently on the lookout for a new writer to replace him. And according to a new Variety report, um, who talked to ind- uh, industry sources, they are looking sort of in in house with uh, other. Lucasfilm, sort of Star Wars uh, stalwarts such as Dave Filoni and Christopher Yost. Uh, Dave Filoni and Christopher Yost have both worked in Star Wars animated series. Dave Filoni especially is a, a big sort of fan favorite writer and creator in the Star Wars community. He created Star Wars Rebels and had a huge hand in Star Wars The Clone Wars um, and uh, he also which was also a series that uh, heavily featured Obi-Wan Kenobi um, in a, a large role so he seems to be uh, someone who would know very well like the character of Obi-Wan um, and uh, Chris Friyos as well has worked on Star Wars Rebels um, but is currently occupied with the upcoming live action Cowboy Bebop series so his schedule is up in question, but Feloni and Yost have both worked on the Mandalorian writing and for Feloni directing as well.
0: Yeah, Yost has been on, on a bunch of like Marvel and Disney stuff. Like he he worked on like Thor: Dark World and Thor: Ragnarok, so some some bad and some good there. And uh, so, you know some of the X Men stuff. Uh, Brad, I know you're a Star Wars fan. Who would you like to see write this Obi Wan Kenobi TV series?
2: Filoni does really seem like the best choice. He's steeped in Star Wars lore, especially when it comes to that, uh, the prequel era stories. And so to having this take place, you know, between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope, I, I feel like he's probably the best person to tackle it, um, at least from a, from a writing yeah. standpoint. Obviously, you know, he just de- had his directing debut live action wise with uh, an episode of The Mandalorian, which uh, obviously, you know, he was still, you know, getting, getting used to the, the reins a little bit. But I, I think that, you know, with some time and with some assistance that he could probably be pretty good at uh, helping shape this series. Yeah, I, I, I'm just
0: assuming that he's probably back for Mandalorian season two and he's also producing that. And, you know, he helps write and produce that series. So, like, is he going to have the time to because that Mandalorian's already in production right now, like as we speak, uh, uh, season two. So I'm just wondering True. if, if like, you know, is this spreading Dave Filoni too thin? But I do agree with you. I feel like with the Star Wars lore, especially when you get back to, like, you know, original trilogy and prequel trilogy stuff, like, there's no greater mind other than, I guess, George Lucas. Uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, I would love to see him involved because, you know, he has a good sense of things. And he just, uh, I, I would love to, you know, have that man in charge of shaping which what direction uh this show goes in because i'm i'm very hesitant about the show despite you know loving uh ewan mcgregor and also deborah chow is amazing uh so i don't know uh, I'm, I'm curious to see what happens with this show uh but let's jump from star wars to marvel marvel announced over the weekend that they are canceling two animated tv shows that were in the works at hulu brad what do we know
2: Yes, so at Hulu, there was a whole series of shows that were in the works um, that were going to be animated. The Hulu was working on four shows. It was Howard the Duck, Marvel's Tigra and Dazzler show, Hitmonkey, and MODOK. And unfortunately, Howard the Duck and Tigra and Dazzler will not be moving forward. Uh, Marvel was the one who made the decision to pull the plug on these shows, not Hulu, uh, unlike the Ghostwriter series that they just chose not to move forward on. Uh, And more than likely, this is a decision that probably comes from Kevin Feige having much more creative control over what happens at all aspects of Marvel, including television, now that Jeff Loeb is no longer running that part of Marvel's arm. Um, So because Tigran Dazzler and Howard the Duck are now on the outs, that also makes it unlikely that we'll get the eventual crossover that was supposed to be The Offenders, which was this, you know, basically animated version of what The Defenders was for a Netflix that combined Daredevil, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, and Iron Fist for for one big crossover. Um, on, at first, this seems like bad news because it would have been fun to see these shows come together, but at the same time, it's probably good news because it means that, you know, they're more concerned with quality than they are with just getting these shows out there. You know, Kevin Feige cares very much about these characters, and even if it's not live action, it's obviously something he wants to put out there that fans will appreciate and that won't be subpar and, and mediocre. And uh, MODOK and Hitmonkey still seem to be in good shape. Uh, just, just last week, I, I don't know if we ended up talking about this in the podcast at all, but MODOK um, officially announced the rest of the voice cast that will be behind Pat Oswalt for that series. Um, there's been some good buzz online here and there about about Hitmonkey. So uh, hopefully those turn out pretty well. It'll, it'll be interesting to see how Marvel moves forward with any other animated content that is outside of the Marvel Studios Uh, banner as we know they're working on that what if series for Disney plus but beyond that uh, you know the animated sector of Marvel has mostly been relegated to to Disney XD yeah but I
0: I do think that uh, that what if series is actually going to be under the Marvel Studios banner it it always seemed weird to me that they were doing these Hulu shows that clearly seemed like they were outside of Marvel Studios and they were produced by Marvel television which is now uh, you know kind of defunct is it defunct it's completely gone right at this point.
1: Yeah, it's it's dead. Yeah,
0: it's dead. At least Jeff Loeb is dead. Or not He's not dead. (laughs) Whoa! But he he is dead at Marvel. Uh, Yes. Uh, um, Foot in mouth. Okay. uh, But do you think this could possibly mean, Brad, that we will get a Howard the Duck movie or live-action TV show at Disney Plus?
2: I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, Howard the Duck already has a place in the MCU thanks to Guardians of the Galaxy. He even has a quick cameo in the final battle uh, in Avengers Endgame. And it's a character that a lot of people who work in Marvel have an affinity for because he's such an oddball character from, you know, the more obscure side of Marvel comics. Uh, they've already made a Mar- Howard the Duck movie before. It didn't go over very well at the time. But I think that they could uh, really find a good crew to do it right today, especially with the success of uh, Deadpool, you know, which is another irreverent Marvel character.
0: Hey, we we did hear that Kevin Feige met with uh, Kathleen Kennedy to make a possible Star Wars movie. Now, Howard the Duck has a legacy in Lucasfilm. Can we see the Howard the Duck Star Wars crossover movie that we've all been wanting? I,
2: I'm, I'm down for it.
0: Okay. It's probably likely not happening. But, okay, let's... let's Have we let's...
1: all been wanting that?
0: <laughs> no, I don't think anybody's been wanting that. Uh, <laughs> I, I As a kid, I loved the Howard the Duck movie. It's so bad, though. It's, it's so very <laughs> bad. Uh, but that was a Lucasfilm proper, or, like... Uh, film production so yeah uh it'd be interesting to see if uh like if they made a howard the duck movie would lucasfilm be involved probably not okay um <laughs> uh, okay let's uh let's move on from hulu the streaming service to another streaming service netflix and it looks like some of their movies are going to join the criterion collection which to me seems odd like itchy it, is this the first time this has happened
1: it's not actually because oh. Roma has joined the Criterion Collection, so uh, The Irishman, Marriage Story, American Factory, and Atlantic are going to be the next Netflix film to join Roma in that prestigious curated collection of designated classics.
0: Crazy, um, yeah. and are the so does that mean that they get released on like Blu-ray as the Criterion
1: Collection? Yeah, they'll be getting physical releases. There aren't any confirmations yet as to when these releases will be, except for a vague later this year announcement from Netflix. And um, it's and doesn't we don't know yet what those special features uh, will be as well, but we can probably expect something akin to what uh, we'll be seeing on Roma, which includes uh, bonus features, a new 4K remaster uh, supervised by the director, as well as uh, several other sort of director's commentaries and behind-the-scenes content. But yeah, this is a uh, big news for for Netflix because they have been very uh, steadfastly. Streaming and digital, uh, up until the past couple of years, when they've been trying to sort of enter the awards and Oscar conversation, and um, they've been slowly moving some of their releases to uh, physical releases. We've seen some box sets for their TV shows, like Orange is the New Black, etc., and now their biggest films, such as The Irishman, Marriage Story, um, and um, a few other. F- Oscar-nominated films such as the documentary American Factory and Maddie Diop's Atlantics will be coming to the Criterion Collection.
0: Yeah, I, I guess there's some money to be made in physical media still. So, you know, if there's it's a corporation, I, I know sometimes those those walled gates make sense to try to get new subscribers, but maybe it's worth it for them. I, I'm just wondering, like, do you think any of these special features will eventually make it to the Netflix streaming service?
1: I doubt it. I think they want to maintain some level of exclusivity, Um, but I don't think it is just for, you know, an extra income, like revenue source, because it is, these are, other than Marriage Story and um, The Irishman, these are sort of, you know, films that or maybe a little bit buried in the Netflix algorithm and are getting really wonderful sort of attention from the Criterion Collection, which uh, is very picky with its selections about what makes it into the collection. Um, And to like be chosen in that has kind of become, to be chosen as like a sort of a classic in a way. And um, so it's exciting to have these films highlighted as well as given that physical release. And I think it's more, it's not as much about like a revenue source as it is about like a, Boosting and highlighting these films as you know being worthy of of or like getting it more another sort of um version or like yeah. a, a you know more more just content ah I hate the word content but more <laughs> out of it you know more out of it
0: I, I do want to mention uh, while you are ninety nine point nine percent right the Criterion Collection did release some Michael Bay films. <laughs> So. All right. Well. <laughs> so sometimes I think they, there's I mean, some I'm profit motives. i yeah. like broad
1: strokes, but yes, you're right.
0: <laughs> okay. They're not
1: all classics, quote unquote.
0: Yeah. Uh, as the stri- as streaming wars are heating up and continue, uh, Netflix and Apple are considering buying MGM. Brad, tell us about that.
2: Yes, the streaming wars are a big deal right now. Uh, Apple TV Plus, you know, um, entered the fray and now they're alongside the likes of Netflix, Hulu and Amazon Prime, as well as, you know, Disney Plus making a big splash. And there's even more to come with Peacock and uh, HBO Max on the way. But these are all from, uh, you know, big multimedia conglomerates that have the money to spend uh, to make their own streaming service and pay to have library content in it. But there are a lot of smaller uh, networks, studios, companies, what have you, that are valuable but don't have enough capital to be able to do something like that themselves. And these are the kinds of um, places that will basically be up for purchase from a lot of these places that have their own streaming service, uh, both for their content library, and as we might see with MGM, the entirety of their studio. Um, Right now, MGM is in a place where they can't really make their own streaming service and their library of content that includes the likes of James Bond and Rocky and RoboCop and Mad Max, uh, are up for purchase. Um, And and everything that MGM has apparently is is currently worth upwards of about $10 billion. And it's owned by some hedge funds, uh, Anchorage Capital, Highland Capital, and Solus Alternative Asset Management. And apparently they've been taking some meetings with Netflix and Apple about the possibility of being bought. So that way, uh, these streaming companies not only get their library, but they also pick up uh, a lot of their the different assets they have, um, like MGM currently owns the cable channel Epix, which could be a, a valuable commodity uh, for one of these places to have. It's a bit of a, um, a stretch for Netflix to do this because they've never really bought an entity that has uh, a, what you would call a physical presence in Hollywood. Uh, Netflix frequently bought, you know, gets the licensing rights to various TV shows and movies. Uh, And they would get that from MGM with the library of movies that they have available. But they'd also be, you know, buying everything else that MGM has, too. So it's uh, it's an interesting prospect to think about some of these places getting bought up, you know, mostly for their content, but also perhaps in a way that, you know, could help them out in the long run in a, a producing capacity.
0: Yeah. I mean, it seems to me like this is more of a play for Netflix than Apple. Like I don't see what Apple would gain from this. I mean, I guess they would gain some movies and some IP, but it it seems like it would be more beneficial for Netflix, to me at least. I don't know. Uh,
2: I don't, I don't know. I mean, like like you said, Apple doesn't really have much IP, and that's like yeah a big hesitation for a lot of filmmakers considering taking a deal with them. It was a big player, um, you know, in J. J. Abrams not taking a deal at Apple, so.
0: Yeah, I mean, you make sense there. I, I think that this is going to be the first of uh, a couple uh, studios that we see being bought up in the streaming wars. I, I predict eventually we'll see, like, you know, Paramount or possibly even Sony being uh, eclipsed into something bigger.
2: Yeah, so um, Sony is mentioned as, as one of the companies that doesn't uh, have as much to play around with to do their own streaming service, along with uh, AMC Networks, Discovery, uh lionsgate and even viacom cbs you know they just had a recent merger but they don't exactly have a lot to play with either and so you, we might see their content and whatnot being outsourced to the, the bigger streamers as well
0: yeah i just wonder like if sony sold y- y- sold to like one of these companies like to netflix like usually with those agreements like would that would they lose the spider-man license because usually when you sell the entity you lose like there's usually a, a contract, uh, there's something in the contract that prevents, you know, that franchise from going with it. So I'm curious about that, but also Marvel signed some really horrible contracts back in the day. So maybe not. Um, uh, but anyways, okay. Uh, what else do we have to talk about? Let's talk about Indaconda. They are going to be rebooting this, this movie, uh, with the writer from Snow White and the Huntsman. HD tell us about this.
1: Anaconda. If you don't want none, too bad. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, so Sony's <laughs> Columbia Pictures has tapped Snow White and the Huntsman writer Evan Dougherty to pen the script for a reboot of Anaconda, the late 1990s cult horror hit, which starred Jennifer Lopez, um, Ice Cube, Jean Voight, Eric Stoltz, Owen Wilson, etc. cetera. Uh, no producer or director is yet attached to the script, but the, Doherty's take on the new Anaconda will not will be something of a reimagining, according to The the Hollywood Reporter, uh, which knows that Columbia Pictures is hoping for a quote-unquote Meg-style approach to the concept. The Meg is the 2018 Jason Statham vehicle about the giant killer shark um, and was, you know, a very sort of campy, heightened film. Uh, not very like the uh, 1990s uh, Anaconda film, but um, something that I guess is that, columbia pictures wants to do something more of an event uh film in scope and budget
0: so they're gonna make the anaconda even bigger than it was
1: in the <laughs> basically
0: yeah uh <laughs>
1: it's gonna have buns hun
0: <laughs> ht have yeah, you ever no thank you <laughs> have you ever seen anaconda
1: i actually haven't seen anaconda it came out a little early uh yeah. <laughs> for me to watch like horror movies and i was very scared of giant snakes at the time i mean i watched jaws when i was young and i was scared of my toilet for a very long time so
0: (laughs) (laughs) because that shark is gonna fit through that yeah you know bodies
1: of water in general were very scary to me so just never got around to anaconda
0: (laughs) brad do we need another anaconda uh
2: i mean i don't know i I don't think so personally but (laughs) at the same time i did enjoy the meg for what it was and so if they're able to make another movie like that that's fun and silly uh, and sort of leans leans into the the campiness of it all. Then you know why why not? We don't we don't have a lot of uh, snake movies out there. Yeah, I mean
0: fear of snakes, I think, is something that's very primal for humans. <laughs> it's like I I do think that you could do another good movie with it, but I feel like if you're gonna go gigantic with it, like if if you go too much bigger than what they did in that original film, I feel like it's just gonna be ridiculous. Which I guess is the point. If you're going Meg size, size you're, you are you know, you want that B-movie camp kind of stuff. But, like, is it even scary at that that size, HG?
1: I mean, I would be scared of a giant snake that size, so, yes. I'm at, I mean, imagine a giant snake, like,
2: wrapping itself around a building and being able to crush it.
1: <laughs>
0: I'm sure that was the pitch. I'm sure <laughs> that was p- yeah. Okay. Uh, let's talk about one last story. This broke over the weekend. Uh, we've been talking a lot about Uncharted and its troubled, uh, f- troubled journey to the the big screen. I'm still not sure it's going to get there. Uh, it just got a new director and now it has a new release date. Brad, what do we know?
2: Yes. Uh, so just not long ago, uh, Ruben Fleischer was named as the the top new prospect to take over Uncharted after Travis Knight, bum- the Bumblebee director departed the director's chair, and Travis Knight in himself was a replacement for Dan Trachtenberg, who was previously attached to the project. Uh, and this is like the the sixth or seventh director I think they've gone through for this movie that's been in you know development for pretty much a decade now. Yeah. I remember uh, when David
0: and... O. Russell was going to make this movie. I was
2: like, what?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I
2: mean, we've gotten to the point where Mark Wahlberg was once considered to play Nathan Drake, and now he's playing the older mentor character. So that's how long this movie has been in development. <laughs> Um, and So the, the previous date set for this movie was December 18th, 2020. But with the recent uh, director shuffle, it sounds like that they didn't have enough time to get production in before Tom Holland starts shooting the next installment of the Spider-Man franchise, which is what they were hoping to do. So now the uh, release date has been pushed back a few months to March 5th, 2021. Uh, and there's no mention as to uh, when it will shoot, presumably after Spider-Man, which is supposed to shoot sometime this summer, I believe. And so that's that's where that will be working. And that slot in March actually was previously occupied by the new adaptation of Masters of the Universe, the He-Man movie, starring uh, Noah Centineo from To All the Boys I've Loved Before. So that movie has been removed from the 2021 calendar completely, and there's no idea as to when that's going to move forward if there's development uh, troubles or anything like that. Which, funnily enough, Masters of the Universe. So what you're saying is.
0: I was going to say, so what you're saying is he's no longer the Master of the Universe?
2: Yeah, he no longer has the power.
0: <laughs> what were you going to say, uh, Brad? Sorry.
2: No, it's, I mean, Master of the Universe is another one of those movies that has been in development for a long time, too, and has shuffled through various uh, writers and directors being attached to it. So both of these movies have had a long road towards making to the big screen. You know, we'll see if Uncharted actually has the power to come together this time. Uh, And whether or not Masters of the Universe, you know, still actually moves forward uh, with Noah in the lead.
0: Almost sounds like Sony is bad at making movies, but I don't know. Okay, anyways, that brings us to the end of today's Slash Home Daily. You can find more of all of our work at Slash Home.com. You can find this podcast published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at Slash Home.com. And rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow.